0: In darkness from the ones who walk in light.
1: Yes, slide em up, boys. There's your picture today. The picture <laughs> is not very pretty. It's April 17th. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. It is the year 2007. When was the last mass shooting? Let's see, eight years almost to the day, they say, since Columbine. I remember the great shooting at Columbine. That seemed to alter uh, everyone's perceptions, at least for a week. Uh, this time, not so much. Ah-ha. Uh-huh. Who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it that we'd get used to it? We'd get used to this mayhem. Yes, indeed. Uh, never mind. I've had enough hand-wringing. The radio is... Uh, blaring and blaring all this talk of guns, 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 guns. I was waiting patiently, as always, for talk of gender, but I didn't hear any. Um, Oh, one, one mention, one fellow said, well, he didn't think that he could recall a woman having taken a gun and done away with 32, 33 individuals simply to revenge herself on a boyfriend, um, I'm sure if we, <laughs> if we study the historical record, yes, today I had planned to read you a wonderful story about the great Theodora, wife of Justinian back there in the 5th or 6th century in Byzantium, one of those women who pops up in history and, uh, takes advantage of chaos you know the the historical uh, chaos socio-economic upset to seize power and uh uh destroy all her enemies but i i think i'll save theodora maybe maybe for another day um i'll put her aside anybody who loves the byzantine empire check it out it's in the fall of the roman empire i can't put it down folks there's something about that period in history that's just just sucking me in uh i guess what i wanted to do today i was uh chasing around the house last night trying to find things and i i've just what is that uh i've passed the point where anything makes very much sense uh I started out with a book by, it was a Wolfgang letterer called The Fear of Woman and then Klaus the and male fantasies and all that fascist stuff and it's exhausting, just exhausting. I I finally came up with my favorite thing, something, I'm going to send it to my son. Uh It's a cartoon, it's in the New Yorker, it deals with this thing about gender and murder that's a cartoon of a couple of guys uh, in old oh, combat fatigues. They look pretty battered. Uh, they've got uh, automatic weapons, and they're dug in there in the trenches there behind a bunch of sandbags with helmets, and they're in the midst of a war, barbed wire and all that chaos that we associate with the ever ever present war. And one of the guys is crouched down, and the other guy's looking through the binoculars, and they're taking aim, you know, and they're fighting from the trenches. And the guy who's facing us there on the ground, he says, he says, I've never seen mom this angry before. Now, I don't know whether that's a very successful joke, but I'm going to blow it up. Room size, yes, I'm going to blow that one up and use it this year and send it to all my friends and use it for uh the heading on my letterhead, yes. The truth is that um in the main, the wars are uh boy's business. Uh, now, of course, the minute this subject comes up, the uh, reaction is always to point out the exceptions, you know, it is true that women are capable of crimes of passion. Uh, last time I looked in one of those little books, what was the one, um, the professionals, you know, they came up with statistics. Um, oh, that book, Women Who Kill. The statistic is almost always, oh, about 85% of the homicides uh, are uh, the acts of uh, the male of the species and 15% the acts of the female of the species, uh, with the usual little addenda saying that for the most part, women are acting in self-defense and so on and so forth. But, uh, as all of us know, it isn't that women are any less aggressive, uh, it's just that their rage takes different forms, much different forms, uh, I guess, what is that? I guess, what is it? We have to, each one of us, sit down and figure out how much uh, this matters. I've given up. I've been thinking over the years, decades of this, how I rant and carry on. I remember when Timothy McVeigh blew up that federal building. I carried on and carried on about how we should have a liberal education for young men. How, if we could possibly tenderize them, you know, when they were young... We might have a chance. Actually, there's a quote from Kurt Vonnegut. We've just lost Kurt Vonnegut at age 84, was it? Um, He was being discussed on the media. Someone said that Kurt Vonnegut had opined that maybe, just maybe, some young people, teenage people would read his books just possibly he could do something to humanize young people before they became generals and bureaucrats, you know, before they went out into the real world and became murderers. But <laughs> I I think if anybody ever died of a broken heart, it was Kurt Vonnegut, but uh, he did his best. He did his very best uh, to... Um, tender eyes. I think of Pete Seeger, he said something similar the other day, It was something close to despair, but of course, uh, as he points out, we never tell the children there is no hope, never do that. Uh, Anyway, the pile of things that I shoved into my backpack before I clumped down here today included, oh, let's see, the last show I did, it was all about uh, the real men, the guys in the movie Amazing Grace, that's the movie in which, uh, you have a virile ideal of ethical activity, that is men in parliament trying to put a stop to slavery. Unfortunately, the movie is not very successful because, uh, <laughs> it's about human dignity. Oh dear. And of course, any number of people have pointed out to me that there is only one role for a black actor in the picture. Uh, Amazing Grace is what it is. That's about the good guys. No, the movies that sell, that's my next pile here, in the current cinema are all about men gone wild. Now, uh, why is it, you know, wouldn't you think that we have enough, uh, mass media, what's been going on for the last, uh, uh, the last day or so of Men Gone Wild. No, we have to make movies about it, too. There are two out there now. One's called Shooter and one's called 300. I do not recommend them. I just point them out as examples of this vroom, vroom summer stuff that's coming. Uh, it's all drums and electronic music. What is it? In uh, in Shooter, the star, it says... The sh- the star, his name is Mark Wahlberg. Uh, the reviews by David Denby insist that the guy looks like a gun himself. I I wouldn't have thought that, but yes, there is definite <laughs> resemblance. Uh The movie's producer says about this guy, he says, what I love about Mark is he's not afraid to be a man. Right. Uh-huh. In this day and age I guess that's 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 a good thing. He's not afraid to me. A man. Depends on what you call a man. Uh the movie that really scared well, uh Shooter is just oh one more what is that uh um Matrix of Gun Culture, lonely man of honor myth, Rambo, Mania, all that um BS that I thought we covered that in the eighties, but apparently that was just the beginning uh Mm -hmm. No, the one that scared me is 300. If you have HBO, you can see um, 15-minute versions of 300. It is a blood-dark account of the Battle of Thermopylae. It's all about the Spartans. Of course, it has absolutely nothing to do with the ancient kingdom of Sparta. (laughs) They throw in... um, a king and queen, and everybody's uh, gets naked and uh, i don't know what this picture is It's It's certainly not about human beings um, The New Yorker calls it perhaps the nuttiest film ever to become an enormous box office hit It's based on a graphic novel by frank miller and uh the review calls it a porno military curiosity, a kind of muscle magazine fantasy crossed with video game and an army recruiting film. You know, uh, I thought it was, was, I, at first I thought it was some kind of animation. I, uh, they are actors. They are humans. Um, they pose these Spartan heroes against the horizon or along the crests of the mountains under rolling skies. Actually, this stuff is, um, what is it? It's the art of the illustrator. Uh, Dominant remaining colors. Let's see, they drain all the soft colors out, and you get the molten brown gold of bronze shields. So I think of these movies as a return to the bronze age. And on a certain level, I guess they're arty. I um, can't watch them myself. I don't particularly care to watch fountains of blood spurting from bodies, you know. Uh I don't know. There's a lot of talk uh by the pundits, the people who worry about the children, the children watching this nasty stuff. Uh, I kind of agree with them. I think all of this is just... Uh, softening us up. It's called psychological warfare. It prepares us for the the real thing. I I don't know whether kids really distinguish anymore between the blood and gore they see in the news and the blood and gore they see in these films. In the films, of course, you can um, touch it up a bit, you know. You can make the colors different. Um, Anyway, um, what happens in this movie, of course, is they take the... The heroic past, and they make it look like uh, what we 're battling in the middle east uh, okay the The gist of most of the reviews that I piled up here uh, what is it? They say that these movies are products of a culture that is slowly and painfully going mad. <laughs> the lofty narration of 300. Uh, let's see, the lofty narration informs us that the Spartans are fighting, this is a quote, against mysticism and tyranny. Okay, it's going to take me a while to figure this out. I don't think, I don't think any of the words matter anymore. Once again, I have this New Yorker cartoon that I've put up on the wall, blown up again. The guys at the cocktail party fighting, you know, the chattering classes. One guy screaming at the other guy, define your terms, define your terms. What the hell is mysticism and how do you fight against it anyway? Uh, the Spartans in this movie are defending reason. And in the movie, of course, there's plenty of... uh disdain or prejudice or um, ethnic uh, contempt for what Edward Said once called Orientalism. Yes, uh, the East is the enemy. It's popular. Uh, of course, none of this makes any sense. It isn't supposed to make sense. What it's supposed to do is make money. That's what it's all about. Anyway, <laughs> before I go on, before I go on with something sensible, I want to mention something uh, I'm so fragmented this week. Um, there's an article in the New Yorker about language. And, of course, I always read these things in the wild hope that there is some some respite here. You know, that words will save us or that we will grasp at some new straw of understanding. Uh, this is called The Interpreter. It's all about a remote Amazon tribe that has or may have upended our understanding of language. Oh, yes, they're even arguing with Noam Chomsky. Shocking, shocking. Actually, that's uh, that's an okay thing to do. I'm sure Noam Chomsky has, has no objections. But this tribe um, up the Amazon, the article is by John Colapinto, C-O-L-A-P-I-N-T-O. Reporter at large, the interpreter. The issue is the New York all of... New York world April sixteenth and this <laughs> this beautiful picture of the amazon um, uh, natives i'm going to cut it out. It seems like well it's a very long involved article. The gist of it seems to be that these people uh, are singing um, ha <sighs> it's a little too complicated to analyze I'm afraid. The couple that went there, the anthropologists, uh, <laughs> I think Margaret Mead, yes, are a very interesting pair. The woman has stuck it out. She's stayed. Uh, and she seems to be the one... Um, she seems to be the one who keeps the faith. She actually is a missionary. Uh, but she's into the music. The guy... The guy that um, went with her, her husband, he says, if he has to sing, he said, this is it, I'm out of here. Uh, she started singing, and he said, damn it, if I'm going to learn, I'm damned if I'm going to learn to sing this language, and he was out of there. He's in torment. His wife says, it's tormenting when you have a good mind and you can't crack it. Can't crack this language. She says, I don't care. We're missing something. We've got to look at it from a different perspective. Uh, anyway, it's certainly beyond anything I can understand, which is why I'm fascinated with it. Uh, I always did think that, uh, speech and music and song were all mixed up. The poets know all that. Uh, and it does have something to do with the feminine. Uh, language, well, she says that the tribe members in this Amazon tribe sing their dreams. She explained how they teach their children to speak. Uh, they use something we call prosody, P-R-O-S-O-D-Y. Anyway, this is something that makes me think that There is more to understand. And if there's more to understand, there's a reason to keep looking and keep trying to figure things out. Uh, When I listened to the news this morning, all I heard was more and more blather about, uh, what you call that, uh, about symptoms and not about causes. This whole notion that people are murdering each other uh, for a reason, (laughs) when, of course... We know that they have just gone mad. A young man who um, was what do you call that? Rejected, I guess, by his girlfriend was so angry that he uh, killed her and uh, thirty-two other people, thirty-three other people. Someone has called it uh, what is it? Um, insufficient or denied denied entitlement anyway there are all kinds of new phrases coming into the language uh in other words um a young male i think he was 23 or 24 uh was angry enough full of rage he was angry enough um to turn his guns on all these people that he didn't know and destroy them now where these berserkers come from uh is a subject for, you know, the doctors and the psychiatrists and it will go on and on forever, but I see it mostly as a symptom of, uh, just, not just male privilege, but of a society in which, uh, we've allowed people to become that sick. They are left alone. They are not, uh, helped by their, uh, what do we call it? Their family, their clan, their group, their counselors, um, even their girlfriend. Apparently, this was another loner, someone that no one had taken time to uh, figure out or understand. Uh, it seems to me that we should know when our lovers or friends or neighbors or family members are going off the deep end. In smaller tribes and clans, there is a tendency to figure this out. And then your mama comes over and straightens them out. Now, in our world, (laughs) your mama is missing a great deal of the time. I thought today I would indulge myself because I'm uh, a little depressed by all these events. Uh, First, I was going to read your stuff about women's rage. But then I thought that was crowding the subject, yes. Of uh, all this wonderful material about what women do when they get into a rage, uh, I remember once coming very close, very close, having murderous thoughts. And then I finally realized that um, not only was killing not the answer, but that, you know, death pretty much uh, pretty much extinguished any chance of making him suffer yes that was my thought i wanted him to suffer a little so uh, i gave over thoughts of annihilation uh but i did go a little dark i remember thinking at the time um uh, that i needed to use my imagination find something a little bit grander uh something a little darker uh so, of course, I wrote magnificent, magnificent tirades and letters. I took it out in language, uh, most of which I'm sure I never read. Uh, yes, I always thought that would be the perfect punishment. You remember back when Bill Clinton was accused of being uh promiscuous. I thought he should have to listen to the young woman's protestations, to her talk, to the older woman, yes, Men should be made to listen to that nonsense. But of course, this is not a subject, uh, this is not a subject for laughter. It's hideous. Uh, I don't know, uh, why men believe that women are their possessions. Uh, or is it Gloria Steinem used to say, there are no crimes of passion. There are only crimes of possession. The notion that this woman, apparently, the the young man, the uh, shooter in Virginia, apparently he wrote a note saying that she drove him to it or it was her fault. Um, Having made him suffer, she was responsible for his naughty behavior. I remember when I first started studying gender and... uh, it was back when I thought that understanding was the path, yes, that we could understand the uh, uh, we used to call it the male ego, the uh, psychology of men we could help them to uh, overcome their fear or dread of women, try to help them understand that women were uh, their fellow men i don't think that's in the realm of Possibility. And the, the uh, example I chose was a wonderful German philosopher. <laughs> yes. Uh, called Schopenhauer. Yes. And uh, <laughs> Schopenhauer wrote the most delightful essay called Of Women, in which he goes round and round and round the subject. Uh, he does all the things. We know, uh, we do, even women do this, you know. Uh, he came up with all the idealizations of woman, all the excuses in the world, but of course, what it all comes down to is that, uh, well, I don't like to use the word jealousy. Let's say he resents this woman. He has what we used to call Venus envy. Uh, he has to find ways to uh, demean or belittle this creature because obviously uh, she is a little bit more human than he is and he realizes this at some point. So naturally the things in her that he calls nature uh, have to be um, reduced. Uh, what is that? Um, demeaned and made to seem less noble uh it's, it's, uh, semantics. We used to call it sex It's a neat trick if you can pull it off. It just means that all those things that are other are less. Uh, if it's not like me, well then it's less than me. It's tricky. <laughs> yes. As someone said, it is very difficult for women to explain these things in a language that was conceived by men. Yes. Uh, let's see let me read you one little paragraph and I think next week I really think I should indulge myself and read you all of Schopenhauer's of women because it's such a wonderful insight into the ways guys uh, fool themselves about women as Mark Twain used to say we know that man is a fool but if that is the case then woman is a damn fool now here's Schopenhauer he writes you need only look at the way in which woman is formed to see that she is not meant to undergo great labor, whether of the mind or of the body. She pays the debt of life not by what she does, but by what she suffers, by the pains of childbearing and care for the child and by submission to her husband to whom she should be a patient and cheering companion. The keenest sorrows and joys are not for her, nor is she called upon to display a great deal of strength. The current of her life should be more gentle, peaceful, and trivial than man's, without being essentially happier or Unhappier. (laughs) When I think of the anguish of the women of this earth, the pain that they suffer. It's hard to laugh at Arthur Schopenhauer. Uh, Let us try. Let us try to keep our heads above water. There is more to understand. This has been Jennifer Stone. Until next week at this same time, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Those in darkness
0: from the ones who walk in love.
1: Here, Ronnie Gilbert read from her memoirs, Charlie Varon perform from his play Rabbi Sam, and Sandy Tolan speak about his award-winning book The Lemon Tree. Plus, awards to Israeli peace activists Anat Baletsky and Jeff Halper. Saturday night, April 28, 7 p.m. in Oakland, a benefit for Jewish Voice for Peace. As part of the conference, Pursuing Justice for Israel-Palestine, Changing Minds, Challenging U.S. Policy. For info, go to jewishvoiceforpeace.org or call 510-465-1777.
0: Hey, this is Caroline Casey, weaver of Context for the Visionary Activist Show, a show that aspires to wed spiritual magic and conscious, compassionate social activism. Join us every Thursday at 2 p.m., as we invoke and implement a more ingeniously cooperative and reverent world